Hello, Pioneering Today podcast listeners. Today's episode, we are going to be talking about all things pumpkin. Glorious pumpkin. Um, I love pumpkin. It's one of my favorite things about fall, and I kind of use pumpkin actually all year long. But I think once now even September hits, you see everything pumpkin this, pumpkin that, pumpkin spice. So I thought today's episode, we are going to go over... Um, eight different ways to preserve pumpkins because part of the whole pioneering today movement, modern homesteading, self-reliance, preparedness, all of those things that we do here on our homestead and I write about on the blog um, and Pioneering Today encompasses is putting up the food for later on to use in the year. So it helps building up our food storage and really cuts down on our food bill. And a big part of that is putting that food up when you harvest it and when it's in season. So we do a really large garden here. But one thing I didn't grow this year because quite frankly, I just run out of room. I want to plant so many things. And each year I add in new things to plant that I end up running out of space. So we didn't plant pumpkins this year. But my folks did. In fact, they had, um, I want to say like 22 um, pumpkins and they're the sugar pie pumpkins. Those are the smaller pumpkins and they are sweeter. So they're generally used more for baking and that kind of a thing. So um, they don't get as large for carving, but you can let some of them get larger and they'll grow larger and you can use them for carving as well. So we really do prefer to use the sugar pie pumpkins for most of our cooking and baking. So that will be in reference to most of the things that we would preserve um, as far as pumpkins go. So we'll be talking about that today. And so my parents did 22 pumpkins and so they were very gracious and let me have um, about six of those. So if you didn't grow pumpkins, I would recommend trying to find a local farm. Usually there's tons of pumpkin farms going right now, pumpkin patches um, on Facebook. That's a lot of what I see is the really cute little fun pictures with kids at the pumpkin patch. So if you can find a local organic farmer pumpkin patch, go and grab yourself some pumpkins and then we're going to get to preserving them. So the first method that we have with our pumpkins is going to be um, root cellar or cold storage. So one of the things that you want to make sure that you do when you're picking out your pumpkins for root cellar or to have it stored so that you're not, if you're not going to be cooking it right away and using it, is you want to make sure that it's mature. And this is going to go the same for if you're harvesting your own pumpkins and bringing them in, depending upon your zone and in your weather and what's going on right now where you live. So you want to make sure that they're mature. So you want the skin to be hard on the outside and you want to let it mature on the vine. And another thing, and this is true when you're pinting, picking any of your winter squash, is you want to leave the stem on. So if you remove the stem, the food is going to start to break down and it actually lets things enter in and it's going to start to rot a lot sooner. So leaving the stem on is one of the key things. Now with pumpkins, they don't have as long as root cellar um, storage as things like potatoes and apples, um, spaghetti squash, those kind of items. So with your pumpkin, though, when you bring it in, and this is um, something that I think is really true, too, if you want to use them for decorations, is you want to make sure that you wash all of the dirt off of the outside. And that could have any bacteria or organisms on it that would start to break it down sooner. And you also want to make sure that there's nothing on the skin of the pumpkin that it hasn't been punctured. So that because once it's punctured, if there's a hole, um, you know, or a large crack or that kind of a thing, that's going to be a spot that disease is going to start in right away and it's going to start to break down sooner. So making sure that it's unblemished 
and it doesn't have any wounds, so to speak, on the outside is what you're going to be looking for. And I know a lot of people, especially if they want to leave them out on the table for some decoration or as far as um, just storing them to use later, is they will wash the outside down. You could just use good soap and water and then make sure that it's dry thoroughly and that it has good air circulation. And I know other folks, now I've seen some things online where people used bleach, um, on the outside of their pumpkin. And I think this is more for people who don't plan to use them for edible purposes. Um, if you're going to be using them for edible purposes, I wouldn't wash down the outside with bleach. You could use vinegar. You could wipe the outside down with vinegar to kill anything that you're worried about that might start the breaking down process sooner. And again, making sure that it's dry and has plenty of air circulation. So another thing to do with the root cellars, if you're going to be storing it, that's key is pumpkins like between 50 to 75% humidity, and they like to be stored between 50 and 55 degrees. So not as cold as your refrigerator, obviously, but they don't like to be kept really warm. And if you're following all those, they should store um, about two to three months. And this is going to depend on the maturity of the pumpkin, when you got it, your storage conditions, et cetera. And then in the resource notes for today, all of these points that I'm going over, I'm going to have links that you can click on for further information and more reading for whichever method that you choose to do preserve your pumpkins. So if you go to melissaknorris.com, click on the podcast button, and then you'll go through and you will see the episodes. Click on that episode and you will have links to everything, including transcriptions and show notes. So there's a lot of really good info there for you to go further into it. So I have a link actually to a site that talks all about root cellaring, root storage, um, cold cellar storage for pumpkins, winter squash, and all your different. It's a great resource with charts that you'll want to check out. So the next option that we have for preserving our pumpkins is, of course, we're going to cook the pumpkin. And there's two ways to cook pumpkins. A lot of folks just will, um, you'll open it up like you're going to carve a jack-o'-lantern and you'll scoop out the seeds and the stringy insides. And then they will put either, if depending on the size of the pumpkin, they'll chop it in half and you'll put it um, face side down in a roasting pan with like a half inch to an inch of water. And then you'll bake it and roast it that way until it's soft. And then you'll scoop out the insides and there is your cooked pumpkin. Now that's the way that I've always done it, but I'm very um, curious and excited to try another method to see which I think is actually easier. So if you've tried both methods, I would love to see in the comments or shoot me an email, which one you prefer. The other method is you take the pumpkin whole and you just put it in the oven and you bake it at like 400 degrees. Um, depending upon the size of the pumpkin, it can take, you know, a couple hours or so until it's cooked. And then you can just insert like a knife into it to make sure it feel that it's soft and that there's no resistance. It goes all the way through. Kind of very similar to doing like a baked potato. And then you pull it out and you let it cool down enough because obviously it's going to be really hot inside if you try to cut it open right away and it steam burns. And then once it's cooled down enough, then you cut it open and you scoop out the seeds and then you have your cooked pumpkin puree. And that way you're not really doing any chopping beforehand um, or peeling. So I am going to be trying that and I'm also going to link to some to some tutorials for you on how to do the whole roasted pumpkin method. And then I also have... Um, Another great link, and that's cooking a whole pumpkin outdoors if you have outdoor, do outdoor fire cooking. So that's great for like a preparedness thing or if you're camping, um, that kind of a thing. So I love um, outdoor. I love the primitive methods of learning how to do things. It's a passion of mine. You might have noticed if you've been a listener for very long. So I will also link to that tutorial on how to cook your pumpkin outdoors in a fire. So when you have your cooked pumpkin, then there's a lot of different options we have once the pumpkin is cooked as far as preserving it goes. But it all pretty much 
boils back down to having that cooked pumpkin. <laughs> so obviously a method is freezing it. And I have frozen um, just cubed pumpkin. You can also freeze pumpkin puree. And I have just, I've done it both ways. I've put it in a baggie. I've done the pumpkin puree in a baggie and froze it. I've also just take the chunks and put it into um, a pint jar because a pint jar is two cups. And a lot of my recipes call for two cups of pumpkin puree. So I will just put actually the chunks of pumpkin in a pint-sized mason jar. Generally speaking, a wide mouth, they're easier to stuff things into. And then I just freeze that and then pull it out whenever I want to make something and let it thaw for a couple hours. So that is definitely a way to go. Another thing that you can do is you can do dehydrated. And so you can do it two ways. You can actually just dehydrate the pumpkin in cubes or chunks, slices, that kind of a thing. Or you can dehydrate the pumpkin puree. And so um, I'm going to be linking to Mom with a Preps tutorial on dehydrating her pumpkin puree. And so she um, purees it out and then spreads it out flat on her dehydrating sheets. And then she dehydrates it. And then she grinds that once it's totally dehydrated down, she grinds that up into a powder. And then you can reconstitute that. She has good directions for that and how she uses that. And she also has some recipes for using the dehydrated pumpkin. So if you don't have freezer space or if you're off grid and you don't want to have your things dependable upon electricity for your food storage, dehydrating is an excellent way to go. It's a really lightweight. You can take it with you on the go. It doesn't take up a lot of space. And again, it's not dependent upon electricity or propane if that's how you have your freezer and fridge going. Then another option, and this is kind of going off of right along with the dehydrating, and I love this idea, especially for kids' lunch boxes. I'm always looking for healthy things to stick in my kids' lunches that I know they will eat <laughs> and enjoy. And that is pumpkin fruit leather. I never thought of doing pumpkin fruit leather before. I have no idea why. I love pumpkin everything. So this is one I'm excited to try. And I will link to the recipe in the show notes for that for pumpkin fruit leather. And so basically you take pumpkin puree and some applesauce and spices. And then you put that on your dehydrating trays and you dehydrate that and make it into fruit leather. So I think that is a fabulous way to reserve and use your pumpkin. Now, we're going to be talking here about pumpkin butter, but I need to, we got, we need to address this, you guys, because I am seeing a lot of things on Pinterest where people are canning pumpkin butter. Pumpkin butter is not safe to can. Um, pumpkin butter is fine to make, use fresh, you can freeze it, but it's not safe to can. And there's a couple of reasons for that. And I really want us to go over that today for safety. That is because pumpkin butter is made out of pumpkin, obviously, and pumpkin is a low acidic food which means it needs to be pressure canned if you're going to can it. But because you're making pumpkin butter and pumpkins are so thick and the viscosity of them that it's not something that's suitable for canning because you can't ensure that the heat is going all the way through that because it's so thick to eliminate all of the foodborne bacteria that could cause you sick, including botulism, which is a very dangerous thing. So if you see any of the recipes for canning pumpkin butter, please don't do it. It's not safe. Um, you know, doing canning pumpkin apple butter is safe. And that's one of the reasons is because it's a different viscosity and because apples are naturally highly acidic. So canning pumpkin butter is not a safe practice and don't do it. <laughs> so um, that's just something that I really wanted to talk about with you guys today because I'm seeing a lot of that come across social media right now and it's just not a safe practice. But making pumpkin butter is an excellent way to preserve your pumpkin. It, you can put it in the fridge and you can store it 
fresh in the fridge or you can put it in the jars and you can freeze it and then just thaw it later. So those are totally two acceptable ways to preserve your pumpkin butter and to use that yummy pumpkin butter because you guys, pumpkin butter is awesome on Sometimes I just like to eat things like that with a spoon. I know you're not really supposed to. You're supposed to put it on things like pancakes and waffles, biscuits, bread, you name it. So pumpkin butter is a, when preserved correctly and not canned, is a great thing. However, you can can pumpkin, but you can't can pumpkin butter. So I'm really excited to talk to you about that today. So you can can pumpkin when it is chopped into cubes. So you're canning the cubes, not the puree and not the butter and not pumpkin pie filling. You can't safely can these at home. Commercially, you can because those canners get a lot hotter um, than our home ones. Home models are available too. So that's why you can buy that in the store, but you can't can it at home. There is some things that that's just the case with. So to can your pumpkin, what you're going to be doing is you're going to be taking the cubes of the pumpkin And that's what you're going to be putting in your jars. And you need to make sure that you don't mash them down tightly. That's not something that you want to pack tightly when you're packing your pumpkin to can it in the cubes because you don't want to create that pumpkin butter. You don't want to smush it too much. So you're going to put your um, cooked pumpkin cubes into the heated pumpkin cubes into the jars. And then you pour cooking liquid over top of them, which you've brought them to a boil to in. And then you can them in a pressure canner. That's the key thing, though. And so then you can take them off the shelves, um, which I am so, you know, that's what I like to do with some of my beans as well. I'm not always good at remembering to thaw things out before I want to cook them. So I really do like having things canned when it's safe. And that's the option because then when last minute I'm like, oh, I really want to make this. Then I don't have to be like, oh, no, I didn't thaw it out. And then, you know, wait for a couple more hours. I can just do it right then and go. So if you're a little bit scattered like I am or don't always plan ahead, I love having the option of canned stuff instead of always frozen, though I do a mixture of both usually because sometimes I plan ahead, not always. So when you're going to can the pumpkin, um, you do need a pressure canner. So this is key. Pumpkin is low acidic food. It cannot safely be water bath canned. No matter how long you process it in a water bath, it cannot reach the temperature that's higher than boiling water. So you need the pressure canner to safely can non-acidic foods, which pumpkin is one of those. And I will be linking in the show notes to a full-on picture tutorial and instruction for canning pumpkin and how to do it safely. Which actually brings me to our reader question of the week. And I've been getting this question a lot lately, so I thought it would make a great one to address on the show. And that is, what kind of or brand of pressure canner should I get? Well, this is really going to vary a little bit. Um, if you haven't already, I actually have the Ultimate Home Food Preservation Guide that has now over 90 resources in it. And in that, I talk about the different kinds of pressure canners, water bath canners, dehydrators, all the kinds of equipment you would use to preserve your food at home, which ones I personally use, which ones, um, the pro, and then pros and cons of other models that I don't have or that I'm looking at getting and why. So if you do not have your copy of that, it's free to all of my email list subscribers. Just go to melissacanorris.com slash freebies and you will see that plus two other books. So please go get yourself signed up for that. If you have any questions on home food preservation um, with, like I said, there's equipment lists, there's tutorials, there's recipes, just all kinds of great stuff. So brand of pressure canner. I have, my pressure canner is, oh goodness, it's probably like 13 years old. It's um, the first one that I bought when I we'd been just married um, a couple of years. <laughs> and so it is a 
Miro pressure canner, and I'm not really sure that it's actually still available on the market. So the closest one that I have found from Amazon, which we are an affiliate with, is a Presto pressure canner, and I will link to that. And this pressure canner is what I would recommend if you're starting out with pressure canning, um, and it's a more economical option. So it has the little, it has the rubber gasket on it, and you can get them for under 100 bucks to get you started safely pressure canning. Now, the Cadillac, and I actually do not have one of these, but if I had the funds or if something happens to my pressure canner and I'm able to get a new one or I need to get a new one, this is the one that I would want to try, but I do not personally have one. And that is the All-American pressure canner. And the All-American pressure canner is, big surprise here, made in America, which I love. And it also is a metal on metal. And so there's no rubber gasket to replace. However, I have only replaced the rubber gasket on my pressure canner once. And it's fairly inexpensive. And I've had to replace the um, pressure release valve on mine once as well, which was about for both of those items. It was about $10, but it is something that you, you know, the gasket and the pressure relief valve on the um, more economical version is something that you do have to keep an eye on and does seem to be replaced every now and then. However, with the All-American pressure canner, those are kind of, like I said, those are the Cadillac, the elite of canners. Um, they will last for years, decades. They're something that you can pass down. You can get them really large. You can do um, two, you can stack two rows of things when you're canning in them. So that is something that is on my wish list, quite honestly, is the All-American Pressure Canner. So if you have the funds and you're starting out and you want to go you know, gung-ho and jump into it and you want the really good equipment, then I would say try out the All-American. And I will use links in the show notes to reviews of those and there's some videos on how to use them and different people's um, thoughts on using both of those as well. So I'll get that in there so you can check that out. The All-American Pressure Canner runs anywhere from two to three hundred dollars so it is more um so it's just going to depend on where you're at and wanting to start out so but i really recommend if you're looking into doing any kind of home food preservation at home into getting a pressure canner and as we've um, went over reader questions in previous episodes a pressure cooker you cannot pressure can in it now my pressure canner i can pressure cook in it but it is a pressure canner so that's one thing that you need to be aware of now, if you have a question, I would love to hear it and you can comment, shoot me an email your reader, and feature it on a f- coming episode of the reader question of the week. So please, I love hearing from you guys. Shoot me if you have any questions or comments, go ahead and shoot that to me. Uh, you can email me at melissaknorris at juno.com and I would be thrilled to answer you. Or like I said, just go to melissaknorris.com, click on the podcast button and you can leave your comments there under the episode. So then the next thing that we are got we're coming up on with preserving our pumpkins at home is roasted pumpkin seeds. So I don't like to throw away anything. I like to find ways to use the scraps of things that we would normally throw away. So like when you're doing, you know, apple pie filling and apple butter, I like to take the apple cores and the apple peels and do you can add them to a compost pile you can feed them to your chickens or i make an apple cider vinegar right now which i know is not related to pumpkins but y'all i just had to throw that out there so if you are um, still preserving putting up your apples at home or curious about that actually i have a post nine ways to preserve apples at home that you can find on melissaknorris.com and it's featured on the sidebar there so you can go and check that out as well if you want to make some apple cider vinegar 
so going back to um, is roasted pumpkin seeds. So, you know, when you carve your pumpkins, and this is great, I have to tell you, to use when you're doing your jack-o'-lanterns. So if you carve your pumpkins into jack-o'-lanterns, save those pumpkin seeds out of them. Plus, you get a lot of the pumpkin seeds out of the jack-o'-lanterns because generally they're a larger pumpkin than the pie pumpkins. So we always save our pumpkin seeds. I love roasted pumpkin seeds, and so do the kids. I'm not kidding you. I can do a full-on baking sheet, like, you know, big old cookie sheet of pumpkin seeds, and we can eat them <laughs> in, like, one sitting. So I adore roasted pumpkin seeds. And it's a great – they're they're healthy for you. They're a great snack. They travel well. I throw them in the kids' lunchbox. Um, I take them. They're just a fabulous thing. And you can do them sweet. You can do them savory. One of our favorite things is to use a little bit of seasoning and, and garlic salt. Um, and so then I like to make them kind of like a savory type. And then another thing that you can do too is you can sprinkle on um, some cinnamon and nutmeg. You can put a little bit of stevia if you want it on there, a little bit of raw sugar, and you can make them into a sweet treat. So roasting those pumpkin seeds, plus it's quick. You know, it takes like, I don't know, like eight to 10 minutes. It's really fast. So it's a way to do something that tastes really yummy and it's super easy for the kids. And they love the roasted pumpkin seeds. Plus my daughter, she likes to help in the kitchen. She's five. And so she likes to toss the pumpkin seeds in with the seasoning. She just thinks that's fun. Anything that gets your hands, you know, icky, sticky <laughs> and all kinds of messy is her favorite. So roasted pumpkin seeds. And I will link in the show notes to a couple different recipes um, for that is another way, excellent way to preserve your pumpkin. And of course, saving your seeds. So if, and this is going to be on if you have heirloom pumpkins, then you can save this seed as long as they haven't been planted near a lot of other winter squash because they can cross pollinate. So if you had several varieties of pumpkins and they were all heirloom and they were planted near to one another, they could cross pollinate. And so what that means is when you save the seeds, that when you grow them, you might have a new variety. You might have had um, two kinds that will cross. So you get some different pumpkins. And I tell you what, that's how some of the best... um, you know, different varieties of foods has been is just by the natural cross-pollination between heirloom or open-pollinated varieties. Um, so that's something that is an actually a bonus tip because I didn't even have it included in my eight <laughs> when I was counting them up is to preserve your pump at home. And that's by saving the seed to plant for next year. And then the eighth one, and I found this one, and I just thought, what a fun recipe. I think this would be fabulous at Thanksgiving, even Christmas. I mean, all the way throughout the year. You can make it any time, especially if you have frozen up your cubed or pureed pumpkins. And that is a pumpkin syrup. I know, right? Just sounds delicious. And it's this beautiful um, brown golden color. Just looks so pretty. And so I will link to the recipe for this one because it's not mine. I actually found it on Pinterest. Have you all kind of figured out I like Pinterest? <laughs> I adore Pinterest. So if you are a Pinterest fan, I would love to have you join me um, at pinterest.com slash Melissa K. Norris. I love pinning all kinds of, of things. I am just a huge fan of Pinterest. I find the most awesome things. There's so many talented people out there, you guys. So this is a recipe for pumpkin syrup, and it uses sugar. Um, you can use organic dehydrated um, cane sugar, which is what I like to use. And then it uses pumpkin puree, and you cook that down into a syrup. So I will link to that for the directions and the tutorials and recipes, so you can grab that one as well. So I think that would be fabulous. I think that would even be good in smoothies. I mean, you name it. I, pumpkin syrup. Oh, my goodness. I don't know how I never thought of that one on my own. <laughs> but I really love that idea. I think that's great. And another thing that I wanted to talk to you guys about, because we are moving into the holiday season. Now, nobody get all mad at me. Christmas is coming, you guys. I'm on the countdown. We've got nine and a half weeks. 
So I really do not like all the commercialism that surrounds Christmas now. It just seems that we have the Christmas stuff is popping out. I'm not kidding you, the end of August in some stores now. So what I want to do is I want to go back to a traditional Christmas. I want to go back to a Christmas where we're not paying it off until the next Christmas that comes around. We're not running around pulling our hair out, stressed out. I want to go back to a traditional homemade handmade Christmas. And so that is something that we do at our home. I do purchase um, some gifts from the store for my children and usually one one to two gifts for my husband. And usually I have to tell you guys that's when um, I go shopping on Black Friday and I get my husband all of the socks half off at Fred Meyer's. <laughs> that is part of his Christmas present. He works outdoors and so those wool socks are expensive. So I usually try to get him enough socks for the year and that's part of his Christmas present. So even though it's store-bought, it's very practical. So those are the only gifts that I buy usually from the store um, when we do gift giving. Everything else is homemade or handmade. And so I thought it would be fabulous because I know I'm not the only one who feels this way. I know everybody else wants to get back to the true meaning of Christmas, which for me is faith celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ, family, loved ones, and just spending time together and really that that is the best gift we can give is time and love and relationships with people instead of things. So though I do like to give small gifts um, and homemade gifts that I know that people appreciate and that they can use and that will benefit them and their life. So if you that sounds like something that you're interested in, we are having an entire homemade Christmas here at Pioneering today. And so I'm actually creating events. I've Um, I'm working with eight other bloggers. And so we are going to do eight weeks of do-it-yourself tutorials, recipes, gifts, all things that can be handmade at home and that are fabulous that people are all actually going to want. In fact, I'm so excited for some of the tutorials that are coming up because they're things that I don't know how to make and I haven't done before, but I've wanted to. And when I saw the idea, I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't wait to make that. I know exactly who's getting that. So if that is the kind of Christmas that you want to have and you want support, go to melissaknorris.com and you will see the button right there on the sidebar at the top and you can sign up for a handmade Christmas. And so you will be getting emails sent to you once a week with um, supply lists, shopping lists for if you don't have the supplies already at home and the tutorials. Plus, we have an entire Pinterest board devoted to homemade Christmas. So I will provide a link in the show notes to that. Pop on over that. Get even more ideas. And we created a Facebook group. So that's where everybody can join. And all throughout up until Christmas, you can jump in, ask questions, share your ideas, and encourage one another, which is what I really want this to be about, is encouraging one another. So I really hope that you will join us for the Homemade Christmas series. I'm super excited about it. And I can't wait to see what you all guys have because we all have ideas. And so I'm really, when we pull them together and share, it's a great thing about sharing. Then everybody benefits. So I can't wait to see what you guys have. And I hope you're as excited about the things that we have coming out um, as I am. And so a new feature that I want to add to the podcast here is what I'm reading. I love books, y'all. If you haven't noticed that, books have the power to change lives. Books have changed my life. And so I think it's really important um, to share books that we're, that we're reading because I found that that's the way I found some of my favorite authors and some great books has been by people giving them to me or saying, oh, you've got to read this book. This is you know how it changed my life or I thought it was so awesome. So I just thought it would be really fun to share with you guys what I'm reading. And so I will provide the link to um, the book that I'm reading 
in the show notes, which is um, through Amazon Affiliate. And you, you might hear me say I'm using an affiliate link if you're wondering what that is. So an affiliate link is a link when if you click on that link and make a purchase, I receive a small commission back. So that's what affiliate means. Um, it doesn't cost you any more. In fact, I, I humbly thank you um, if you do that because it helps me with the cost of the website and with the cost of the podcast. Because if you didn't know, it does cost money to have the website hosted and for me to do the podcast. And so that helps me cover those costs, quite honestly. So if you do click on those and make a purchase, I totally thank you. And this book that I'm reading right now is called The Best Yes. And it's by Lisa Turkhurst. And I really hope that I pronounced her last name right. If I didn't, I'm sure somebody will uh, let me know in the comments and fill me in that I didn't pronounce it right and how to pronounce it correctly. So uh, Lisa is, if you've ever heard of Proverbs 31 Ministries, she is the president of that and she has a, a lot of books out. But what I really liked about this book is it's called Making Wise, The Best Yes. And then the tagline, it says, Making Wise Decisions in the Midst of Endless Demands. So especially going into the holidays, but right now in my life, you guys, I have just felt really overwhelmed with, um, you know, running the website and the blog and the podcast, which I love. Do not get me wrong. It is something that I enjoy and I feel it's a passion of mine and I really like to share all this stuff with you guys but I do still work out the home outside of the home um 25 to 30 hours a week you know we have the homestead the canning kids husband all of us we all have demands you know I'm probably no busier than you are we all have things that are going on but knowing how to pick and choose what's really important and what I need to be focusing on instead of trying to do everything because I'm one of those people, oh, I can help. I can do that. <laughs> I like to help people. I'm, I'm a people pleaser and a helper. But sometimes we can just spread ourselves so thin that we can't help anybody, including ourselves. And so that's what really drew me to this book. And I'm really loving it. It's biblical based. Um, it's a faith book. It's about um, helping you know, really searching out for the things that God wants you to do and how to discern what those are. So if that's something that you struggle with or that you're wanting, could use some help with, then I really do like it. I'm enjoying it a lot. I've gotten, um, it's made me cry. It's made me have some new um, revelations. And so I'm really excited. I'm about halfway through it. So that is what I'm reading this week is The Best Yes by Lisa Turkist. And thank you so much for joining me. And I hope that you sign up and I get to see you on the homemade Christmas this year.